you know, it wasn't until I had my second child um, that I realized, like, whoa, you know, things are not as they should be. Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. And I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're staying safe. I um, just want to make sure to say that up front. I know this has been a crazy um, couple weeks here and, uh, you know, we're all probably a little stressed out and overwhelmed right now. So hopefully you can take this time to relax and learn a little. We have a very different show than usual today. Um, we are talking all about autism spectrum disorder and its impacts on eating and uh, how it often correlates with severe picky eating or even ARFID. We had Tiana, a mother of a girl with ARFID, on um, earlier this, you know, winter, I think it was February for Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And you probably heard a little bit about ARFID from her, but today we're hearing from a dietitian um, who works all with children with autism. And she has so much information to share. And honestly, so much more on her website and her Instagram. If you have a child with autism, or you work with kids with autism, or you have a picky eater, she is someone to check out. So definitely, um, you know, check her out. <laughs> her, her link is in the show notes. Before we jump into the interview, as always, I have an article of the week. And just to keep it consistent this week, it's all about autism spectrum disorder. So this is on the Eating Recovery Center's website. I'm just going to read you a little bit about it. I think it's something a lot of us, especially if we haven't had someone with autism in our life, don't know about. So here we go. Some individuals with autism spectrum disorders have eating issues that ha may have very clinical significance. Autism spectrum disorder is a developmental condition that affects the way individuals think and interact with others. Those with ASD have repetitive or very focused behaviors or interests, and some experience high sensitivity to sensory experiences. Depending on severity, along a spectrum of varied symptoms, sensory experiences such as smells, tastes, textures, noises, and body sensations may be uncomfortable and perceived as harmful to those with ASD. And as you'll hear from Jenny, this is me talking now, not the article. Um, that's really where the eating issues for someone with autism begin. It's because, you know, certain textures, whether it's the crunchy textures or the squishy textures or whichever it is, feel harmful or bad or just overstimulating. And so then they want to avoid those. And that, you know, leads to nutritional deficiencies. And a big problem for those kids, there's actually been cases of scurvy and other diseases we really don't see anymore in um, most individuals in the autism population. So I think you'll learn a lot today. I learned a lot. I hope you enjoy it. I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so here we go with Jenny Friedman. You can find her on Instagram at Autism Nutritionist, and I would highly recommend um, going to her website as well. If you do enjoy the show, I'm just going to remind you now, please take the time to rate and review it. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, things you want me to address, send me an email at worthyourwhilenutrition at gmail.com. All right, here we go with Jenny Friedman. Hi, Jenny. Hello. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, I'm very excited to have you on today to talk about autism and eating and ARFID and, and all of that. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here as well. Great. Yeah. So if you could just tell my listeners a little bit about you and how you got into nutrition and dietetics, um, that would be great. Then we can jump in and talk more about autism. Perfect. So um, I got into nutrition. I've always loved food and it was kind of, it's been a bit of a circuitous route to get me where I am today. Um, You know, I started just kind of with the interest of food is really impactful um, in our everyday lives and how we feel and, you know, in any sort of um, health conditions that we might have. And I became really interested in, you know, kind of starting at the ground up, meaning working with kids. And when I um, kind of long story short, I started with the autism population and realized I was trying to optimize diets, you know, like to get these healthier diets going. It was really difficult to do without running into issues about uh, very strict food preferences and really like picky eating. And so that's kind of where my work has evolved. Now I work with kids um, on the autism spectrum and also um, kids who are not on the spectrum who have severe picky eating and um, very strict food preferences that might limit their intake. And how did you first get interested in autism? Um, it kind of found me and I found it. So it was something the idea was planted quite a while ago when I was working in schools. Um, and I was also doing some tutoring on the side. And I kept running into um, kind of the spectrum disorder population. Um, and I think that was it. It just kept, you know, I would even be like working. I used to work with adults and I would work with. You know, I remember, like, I had one client, and um, he wanted me to work with his son, who was on the spectrum. So it was something that just sort of happened. But I had always been really interested, again, in how can maybe diet impact some of the symptoms that we're seeing as the result of autism. Um, so it really just matched a lot of my interests. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I know a lot of dietitians, since we don't get, like, specific training in our internships all the time in the specific different mental illnesses, it's hard or disorders to jump in to working with them if you don't have any previous experience. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, um, it is, it's definitely tricky and I'm, I think there's more and more a focus or a demand, um, for that. So I hope that, um, and it kind of sounds like things might be changing a little bit, but, um, yeah, I was largely, um, self-taught, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Same for eating disorders, I think, for the most part. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so could you explain how autism impacts a typical relationship with food? Yeah, so it's not, um, you know, it's not like cut and dry and there's no exact, you know, we can't say definitively a child has autism, they're going to have issues with eating. Of course, um, it doesn't yeah. happen that way. But... <laughs> Um, you know, studies show that anywhere from about 50 up to like 80 or 90% of kids, um, with the spectrum disorders do experience, um, some sort of difficulty with eating. So often we see, um, you know, just a very limited diet repertoire, um, and often that's impacted by, um, either, you know, sort of a rigidity or a preference for routine and sameness. The number one biggest thing that I see is a texture and sensory issue. Um, So some sort of, yeah, like sensory processing involvement. Um, It can be oral motor. It can also be digestive. Um, So those are kind of the biggest 
issues that I would say that can, um, you know, that we tend to see in the autism population that can impact what and how somebody likes to eat. Yeah. And with that kind of like pickiness, I guess, or when a texture, you know, doesn't seem like they can eat that texture or be around that, um, do you tend to see impacts on their, you know, body as well? Or is it mostly impacts to like having a normal routine to eating or eating with a family? Um, definitely see it as an impact of what they're eating and yeah, definitely how they're eating, who they're eating with, where mm-hmm. they're eating, maybe how they're preparing the food. Um, we do know that the Austin population is at a higher risk for um, nutrient deficiencies. Um, it's interesting though, because we do tend to see that kids on the spectrum tend to be overweight as opposed to right, having yeah. you know, an impact on their growth. Um, and that's really like, a big challenge for parents because they go to doctors, um, you know, and, and the doctor says, well, your child's growing fine. You know, everything seems okay. Their weight, their growth curve and weight trajectory is totally fine. So I think they're okay. Um, but it's more of what's happening on the inside. That right. we can see. Um, and I guess, you know, impact in their body, often digestion and um, like constipation is, is, a bigger issue. So do you see like specific deficiencies at all or a kind of a wide range depending on what they're comfortable eating? Yeah, it can be a wide range. Um, I don't do testing necessarily across right. the board. So I'm, I'm probably not the best person to say, you know, I always see this. Yeah. But, you know, they're, um, if, I, if I'm working with a child who like really doesn't eat any fruits or vegetables, they may not have any true deficiencies, but we know that they're missing out on key nutrients. Right, of course. Um, so, you know, yeah, like kids um, have been known to, you know, in the literature in particular, be low in like zinc and vitamin C. Um, there have been a couple of cases of scurvy reported in um, children with developmental delays or some sort of other, not like chronic health condition, but more, yeah, I guess it's just developmental delay um, or ARCID situation so um yeah they're definitely they're definitely out there so how do you help parents distinguish between like what's normal picky eating that like a child might sort of grow out of or you know get get over at some point and what is picky eating that needs to be addressed as a problem that is a great question (laughs) um sometimes it's really obvious to me and um you know i guess i look at things like is the diet um Stable is the child like continuing, you know, is the child eating the same number of foods? More often, I see kids um, are progressively restricting their diets so they get more and more, um, I guess, smaller and smaller and, you know, um, less diverse over time. Right. The total number of foods that the child's eating are they eating foods from all food groups? Are they able to eat with the family? Um, what, you know, and it's really a big picture. So I look at kind of where and how and what they're eating, what the weight trends are like, um, the, the larger pattern of when did this start and how has it been evolving. Um, so it's really difficult to say, like, yeah, I think this is, you know, this should resolve or, you know, it's right, like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where you're going to be in a year. Right. And you don't want to say, if, like, you're fine yeah. <laughs> when you're not. Right. Of course. Right. And if, and if a parent's concerned, um, you know, I'm, of course, not afraid to say, like, no, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's, you know, need to have an intervention here. Let's wait and see. Give it a couple of months. I'm not afraid to say that, but more often it's the concern is coming from, you know, a a good and thoughtful place where 
it's like, yes, let's address some of these issues now because the longer they go, it's, you know, the more difficult they are to resolve. Right. And I think some of the things you're describing, at least from questions I've received from listeners, can become like normal and can seem normal in the family. Um, like, oh, they mm-hmm. just never eat at the table with us. Like, isn't that fine? Or right. like, they, they never eat vegetables. Like, that's normal, right? And and it can right. um, yeah. kind of be overlooked if it's not pointed out as, as a problem. Right, that's true. And that's like, to that point, I have a couple, um, like more than a couple of clients who've said like, you know, it wasn't until I had my second child um, that I realized like, whoa, you know, things are not as they should be. Yeah, yeah. So you don't really often, know. yeah, right. And it's tricky. It's tricky to know. And it what what is hard is like, yes, sticky eating is normal. That is a typical developmental phase. Yes, kids don't really like vegetables. That yeah. is true. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, often babies will eat more things, and like as they grow up, they they tend to limit their diets. They become pickier. All of that is true. So it's mm-hmm. really hard to understand. Um, where exactly, like where we're drawing the line or where, um, where it becomes a potential issue. So if you're going to say like one, you know, thing to look for, a couple of things to look for, for parents to have as a litmus test of whether they should seek help or not, do you have a suggestion? That's a good question. Um, you know, typically I would want to see a child eating a food from every food group, um, you know, so fruit, vegetables, starch, like a, you know, kind of a traditional protein, a dairy, if that's within the diet. Um, I think it's a big sign if a child is super rigid about what they're able to eat. So, um, you know, we'll only eat cereal out of that one particular bowl. Um, right, we'll yeah. only have one brand of the five foods they eat. Yeah. Um, you know, if they are eating like the same thing day after day. Um, and, you know, yeah, being unable to eat with the family or eat with others is is definitely um you know I think a reason to look out to to reach out and say what what's happening here um and I think it's fair families feel restricted you know we can't have play dates we can't go out for dinner we can't um you know we can't go on vacation if it's like interfering and those are kind of not trivial issues but um they're not necessarily like, you know, impacting health, but it's to me a sign that the day to day, there's like an, in, there's a flexibility that's missing. Yeah. Um, and that it was something that I see that could spiral. Yeah. I always say to patients, it's sort of what you just said, but I always tell them, you know, it's not just, are you eating enough? But like, do you have flexibility and variety in your life? Right. Because so much of that is related yeah. to the control in this situation for them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what are some yeah, ways definitely. families can help their child recover from picky eating or like ways that you work with them to, to help them recover? Yeah. So, um, I am all about exposure, you know, so very often, um, I hear, you know, like, well, they, they'll never try a new food. They won't eat anything new. And when we sit down and look at it, the child isn't actually getting the opportunity to eat something new. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's usually for a very good reason because it hasn't gone over well in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really important that kids aren't exposed only to their, you know, same three whatever preferred foods day in and day out. So I'm really big on exposure. Um, and I work a lot with kind of sensory desensitization. So 
um, what, you know, what is triggering you and how can you use food to help overcome that and help you feel more comfortable. Um, and I guess one of the, you know, one of the other big things that I work with parents in the interim is, you know, kind of identifying what are the child's preferences, what are their aversions, what's missing in their diet, how can we work within their preferences to help expand and to improve nutrition. So it, you know, it comes down to, and I always look at mealtime, so environment is a really big part of things as well. Um, you know, we just want to make sure that kids are supported and, you know, some basic things like no TV on, um, that we go a little bit more in depth as well. So, you know, it's a combination of things and it looks a little bit different for everybody, but I am, I would say really big on definitely exposure, optimizing nutrition and, um, the environment for everybody that I work with. Do you work on exposures like in session or do you discuss with parents? Like this is how, how to expose foods and, and how do they do that? Yeah, with both. So um, I work virtually right. with a lot of my clients. Um, and then, you know, it gets tricky if I'm working with like a three-year-old because it's, right. <laughs> it's difficult to do things online, you know, yeah. online that way. So then I'm really providing strategies um, and we'll do kind of video meals where I can be there or I'm receiving a, um, you know, like a, a recording of the meal. So then I'm really working primarily with parents to get strategies. Um, when I work with older kids or when I work in person, then I'm doing um, exposure during my own sessions and also supporting parents so they can continue to do that during meal time because right. I think it's really important to have it be, you know, in the natural environment as well. And when you say exposure, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> when you say exposure, could you break that down for a listener? Like, what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, so, I mean, it's as simple as, you know, like, when I kind of give that as blanket advice, it's as simple as, is the child, like, needing new foods? Are they seeing them? Are they yeah. having the opportunity? You know, like, seeing is the very basic, um, you know, and, and for some kids, it's really difficult, but for many kids, they can tolerate having the food, you know, on the counter or seeing somebody else eat it because, you know, a lot of kids are missing out on those opportunities, Um so, you know, I, I advocate for just having new foods around all the time. If they can go on the dinner plate, on the dinner table, um, if a child can interact with the food, um, with a food, you know, if they're doing cooking or grocery right. shopping, um, you know, anything. And, there, you know, I, I provide a lot of ideas for ways that we can do that, play with food. Um, and then they're not only getting kind of the exposure, you know, the needing the food, but they're also getting to know it a little bit better through um, their physical senses. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's like a variety, of kind of a, a step, like a big chain of, of exposure. But I would say the minimum is just, you know, kind of serving one new food at a meal. And that just will look a little bit different for each child, depending on the severity of their aversion. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to say, like, if you haven't seen a food, you know, how do you, how are you supposed to feel comfortable eating it? Right? Like, Right. I, you know, I'm not familiar with every single food because I haven't lived, you know, everywhere in the in the world and there's different types of foods. Right. And I remember like traveling to Taiwan and being like, that doesn't appear like food to me. So I wouldn't put it in my mouth. And that's the same as a child, right? If they're not used to seeing yeah. it, then why would they why would they eat it? Correct. Totally. Yeah. And if they're exactly they're not used to seeing it, they're not sure 
right. How it's going to taste, how they're supposed to eat it. Yeah. Um, you know, all of that stuff, like what it's going to feel like, um, how it's going to make their body feel. All of those things are a really big question mark. Um, you know, in the autism population also, they we can see a difficulty to kind of generalize. So it's difficult, you know, for them to know maybe like, oh, this, you know, it's a fruit and fruit tends to be sweet. Um you know, or this looks like an apple, so maybe it will taste and feel like an apple. Um, you know, that's kind of bigger picture, but it, it goes for anything of like, oh, this is a different shaped chicken nugget, and they can't assimilate, you know, they can't like yeah. process that information as um, being the same and knowing what to expect. So definitely that familiarity and, you know, having like clear expectations is really helpful and really important when we're meeting new food. And what kind of advice or encouragement do you give to families? Because it sounds easy, like when we talk about it or when you hear a practitioner talk about it, but at home, if your child is, you know, acting out or having behaviors because you're trying to get them to eat food, it can feel like a totally different problem. Yeah. Um, it's not easy. And I, I don't, it is not, you know, you might get some kind of those like miracle moments, um, but it's definitely not easy. It takes so much time and so much patience and so much perseverance, um, you know, and that's just what we talk about. And really, I, I hope to, I try to break it down and, and look, you know, it's not as simple, um, you know, it's not a binary activity of eating versus not eating. Yeah. I really encourage families to look at the baby steps that are happening. So, you know, if a child has never met new food before or, you know, it's been a while, um, and they can tolerate having something on the table or on their plate. That's a big step. Yeah, you know, no, for they're sure. not eating yet, but that's that's a one step to getting there. So, you know, all sorts of interactions, whether they're touching a new food, they're just being around it, they're licking it. Those are steps that are helping them learn to eat and helping train their expectations, become a little bit more familiar and a little bit more comfortable. So, you know, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't. Um, you know, it's just not as simple or clean as we would like it to be, unfortunately. Right. Just like, I don't know, I always tell clients, you know, with any sort of eating disorder, it's never going to be a straight line in your recovery. And of course, the same is true um, for picky eating. You know, you have one bad experience with the food and like that might set you back um, quite a ways. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's totally, that's exactly, it's not a straight line and it's not... Um, it likely won't like progress the way we are expecting it to or hoping that it will, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening. Right. Yeah. And if a parent or someone asks you like, where do I go for resources for dealing with, you know, different um, issues when it comes to eating for a child with autism, where would you point them? Um, I would point you to my website. Yeah. If I can be, <laughs> yeah, please um, share. You know, a little selfish there. Um, so you can definitely check out JennyFriedmanNutrition.com. Um, and you know, the thing is, you can the internet is a is a can be a scary place for this. Um, yeah, for sure. So there's you can find good. There are good resources available. Um, I actually have a lot of books that I like linked on my through my website as well as recommendations. And I think those are a safer place to look than, you know, getting lost through Googling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's just, there's a lot going on, a lot of recommendations on how to address 
you know, kind of these feeding issues and also how to optimize diet. And there's a lot of potentially not, you know, verified information out there. Um, but a lot of the books are great. I also love um, the SOS approach. So that's something that you can look at as well. And they have some great resources on their website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for joining me on the show. I think a lot of people will appreciate this because it's not a topic we normally cover here. Good. I'm so glad. It's an important thing to talk about and for everybody, um, yeah, just to learn more about. So thank you for having me. Yeah. I ask one last question of every guest. Um, I think my listeners are now very into it, so I can't forget. (laughs) So what is your favorite food? Ooh, that is tough. I love food. Um, so, gosh, this is boring, but I love <laughs> cauliflower. Okay. Um, oh, that's a good one. Jumping to my mind right now. <laughs> I eat that all the time, but um, you know, I'm a big fan of banana bread as well. Oh, banana so, bread's delicious. Yeah. yeah. It's delicious. I've been eating it nonstop. These days. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Especially we're all in quarantine. It might be time to make some yeah, banana exactly. bread. <laughs> yeah. It's like banana bread, three o'clock every day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. I had a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me again. It was great. If you made it this far, please take a moment to rate and review the show. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll come back in two weeks. We're going to have Rochelle Basil on to talk all things running, get back to my normal sort of content. So I'll see you then. Bye.